your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome into Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush here with you. Talk about uh, two blowouts, Phil. Boy, uh, I, I, we were pretty confident that Marquette would have a comfortable win against Notre Dame, but to get uh, two lopsided wins this week was quite delightful. Boy, if, if you think the only way to enjoy a basketball game is to have a competitive close game, I think you might have been disappointed and did not near have nearly the amount of fun I did this week. So we're going to talk briefly about the two games uh, against Texas and Notre Dame. And then, uh, considering there's only one game this coming week, and that's against a bye opponent in St. Thomas, we'll talk a little bit about the Tommies. Yes, that is their nickname, actually, the Tommies. Very Tommies. inventive. Where I don't yeah, know where, so, where they came up with this stuff. Hey, I'll give it to them. They didn't go with the you know stale like Bulldogs, Tigers, Eagles, which we have like thousands of. So at least the, at least they're doing something different. But uh, we will talk a little bit about that. But uh, we figured this might be a good week for some questions from the friends of the program. So Phil threw it out there on uh, on Twitter X on Sunday morning, and a few of you replied with questions. So we'll just hit a few of those to wrap the show up. But first, Phil, let's just talk about the uh, the week that was, and I guess we'll start with the Texas game. And uh, I, I first just loved uh, Tyler Kolick's quote at yes. after the game when he was talking about what it meant to Shaka and that Shaka was downplaying it. And uh, he said, you know, it's just another game. And, uh, yeah, I used to coach there, but it's not meaningful. And then Tyler, as only he could, he said, earmuffs, kids, if you're in the car listening with your parents. He just said bullshit. <laughs> this is for him. Boy, they played like that way. Boy, they, they really dropped the hammer on the Longhorns. Um, and uh, I, I think, like, I noticed Gary Parrish dropped Texas all the way out of his top 25 because he f- said, you know, Texas's resume is kind of empty right now. But if, from the Marquette perspective, uh, you love to see them just bounce back brilliantly after there was a little anxiety in the fan base after the way the Wisconsin game went. You had a team in Texas that was coming in ranked in the national top 15. I think there were 12 coming into the game. And, uh, Boy, Marquette, there was just it was just a no doubter start to finish. Okay, we're going to talk about the game, but I do want to put a pin in Tyler Kolick based question for you. But I don't want to derail where you're going. Um, yeah, that, that you know, and and that, that was a uh, a whooping, right? And and whether or not Marquette had a little extra something in the sauce, or Shaka had a little something extra in the sauce because it was Texas their former employer, and I think you, you mentioned Gary Parrish, but if, if any listeners um, listen to the Ion College Basketball Podcast with, with GP and, and Norlander, highly recommend it. You can listen to that after you listen to this podcast. But, um, you know, they, they were mentioning one that Texas resumes was, was, was quite soft, um, but but there had to have been something in it for Shaka and team because as as Parrish pointed out, essentially after the Abilene Christian lost um, that Shaka had in the tournament of three versus fourteen, the majority of the Texas fan base went, mm, you know what, we could do better than Shaka, and you know so Shaka of his own free will chose to leave and come to Marquette. And one could argue whether Texas is better off in the situation. Obviously, they had the whole beard thing. But, like, Shaka yeah. is in a clearly 
better state of affairs. And, you know, if nothing else, he had to prove, you know, ex-girlfriend style, hey, I'm in a better place than than I was with you. And and they the team really responded. Right. Like the first six minutes were a little nervy. But after that, it was all Marquette and it was awesome. Yeah, remember Shaka was not fired at, at Texas. Right. He he left and uh but it was a situation of kind of being jumped before he was pushed and uh Texas held the door for him on his way out because Chris Beard was out there and they right. wanted Chris Beard being a former Texas guy and uh might have gone better if Chris Beard hadn't had his off court situation. But um because I ultimately Texas was kind of in that position that they weren't they weren't ready to fire Shaka, but there was just somebody out there they wanted more. Yep. And so it, they it held was, the door. And, it was very yeah. much a, oh, no, no, don't leave. Oh, no, you're leaving. Yeah. Oh, please don't. But So, yeah, I guess you could debate whether Texas is in a better place now or not, but Marquette certainly is. So uh, we are certainly very thankful that Texas gave up on Shaka. And right now we've got a top-five team in the country. And yeah, they absolutely played like it against Texas. The, the defensive intensity was there from the jump. I mean, the team shot the ball well. They shared the ball like they normally would. I mean, that that was basically what the kind of performance we've come to expect from this year's team being a preseason top five team and in the top five heading in or in the top ten heading into this game. Um, they just looked dominant and it, it just few things to complain about after after that effort against Texas because Marquette kind of reestablished itself as a legit top ten if not higher team the way they just took care of the Longhorns. And, yeah, maybe they, to some extent, they were playing for their coach. Because, again, the Tyler, I think, kind of spoke for the whole team that even if Shaka says there's nothing to it, uh, you know the players love Shaka, and they wanted that one for him, and they played like it, and it showed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I mean, speaking to the defense, outside of the first two three that uh, two threes that Max Amos hit in, the in what, the first three minutes of the game, uh, I yeah, think, Amos was on fire, but he was like their only offense. Right, but but after those first two threes, Texas hit uh, two more threes the rest of the game, right? Like, and and again, you know, some some three point defense is a little bit of luck or bad shooting from from Texas, but you know, Marquette did not give open looks. I mean, Texas shot less than fifty percent from two and less and and twenty five percent from three. That's that's really good, and and one of the things I would say is go go look at Payne Touches' um, uh, Twitter feed because uh, he had a shot chart from the Texas game, which just shows you that the the teams are playing two different type, or I would say two different sports, but two different forms of basketball. Marquette's, as we've talked about ad nauseum many times, it's either all around the basket. There's no two. There was not even a two point attempt outside of the lane the entire game. And then shots around the three-point line, and and Texas looks like a Rorschach test where there's just blots everywhere, right? And and some of that is what Marquette's defense does, and some of that is is a choice or a style. And you know, as long as teams are going to continue to be like, well, you know, mid-range, we we can we can make that happen. I think I think Marquette's defense is going to continue to feast on that. Absolutely. If, if you want to take mid-range shots against Marquette, they are all for it because that is essentially a no-no in the Marquette offense. If you take a mid-range shot, you better hit it, and they, it, it is. It's it's threes and dunks. It's it's they're all about efficiency on offense, and the statistics back that up. They, as we are recording this on Sunday, they are a top ten offense and defense in the country, which is the formula you want 
all season. Teams that are traditionally top 20 offense and defense usually, usually do very well in March. It's just a great formula for success. It's a sign of consistency. And the fact that Marquette has done that against uh, an elite schedule. Uh, Ken Palm rates their schedule 13th in the country. So they've played an excellent schedule, which we knew coming into the season, and it has uh, proved to be true. So they're putting up excellent numbers, not just against cupcakes. They are playing against uh, a schedule that rivals anyone else in the country, especially among power conference teams. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we'll talk about the schedule a little bit later on, like where the pitfalls and perils are. But I think one of the things, I think Texas really represented the last – at least on paper anyway, hurdle for quite a bit, right? Like, I, you know, we've we've certainly got some some trap games in as we start uh, conference season and, you know, the Big East is always tough, but there isn't a game on the schedule that is inherently tougher than anyone we've played until February. Um, so, so Marquette... Ken Palm, yeah. Yeah, uh, according yeah. to Ken Palm anyway, and, and even on paper, yeah. right? Like, I don't see anything on the schedule that says, hey, this is harder than Purdue neutral or Wisconsin away or, um, you know, or anything like that. You know, we beat Kansas on a neutral court. Right. Um, So I I think they, quote unquote, weathered the toughest part of the schedule for a while and and have come out significant. Well, I shouldn't say ahead of expectations, because I think I think we said at most two losses in the non-conference. So they're. They're maybe right on schedule, but I think the style and the the success they've had has maybe the win loss column hasn't exceeded expectations. But I think the approach, the style, um, the all around success has exceeded my expectations a little bit. Yeah, I think when we did our preseason picks, I think we both went a touch on the optimistic side and both went uh, ten and one non conference, if I remember Ooh. correctly. Um, and that you know. So, so they dropped one that maybe we we were hoping they be, would beat Wisconsin, but I think we had them winning every other game, right? Right, uh, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think wins and losses on par. I think we said in eleven games that eight would be fine. That's where they're at now with one to go. Nine would be very good, legit contender, and ten they are a a, a clear um, national championship contender. But I would say the way they've played, I would say nine and two still has them in that. Final Four national title contender range because there just simply aren't many teams superior to Marquette, especially when you look at uh, you know the, both the national ratings, the Ken Palm run numbers, Torvik, whatever you choose to use. Uh, Marquette is sitting fifth in the country on Ken Palm, and mm-hmm. I, I think most of the rankings when they come out again on Monday, Marquette's still going to be in the national top ten, so they're going to be way up there. Uh, it. I, my opinion of the team overall has not changed really through 10 games. It's they're about what we had hoped they would be. And that is cream of the crop, maybe not the number one team in the country, but truly an elite contender. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and I, I'm not quibbling with, with saying, Hey, there's not, there's not many teams out there that are, are superior to Marquette. I would argue that, you know, and maybe it's semantical, but I would argue that there's nobody that's like superior to Marquette. There's nobody out there that I see, that Marquette could not beat right now, you know, maybe like a Purdue or as Arizona, depending on where it is in the situation, you know, maybe it's one of these Marquette wins five out of 10, if they play, or they win four out of 10 or something like that. You know, maybe Marquette isn't 
the odds-on favorite in in a few matchups out there. But they can make every single game competitive against every single opponent, and that's I I, I don't know. I, I I was I was talking to I took. Uh, uh, no red for Owen to the game to the game last night, which was a very late game, the the Notre game Notre Dame game, and we were we were just talking about being grateful for stuff, and I was like, you got to be grateful for this team because we have not seen a team like this in literal decades, and it is just awesome to watch. And you know, not looking too far ahead, but it can't, and not every day can be like this. So you know, completely destroying a. You know, if maybe decent Texas team at home is is something to relish. Yeah, I think that's something we even said last year. Is the attendance numbers have gone way up? I mean, Marquette is you know packing Pfizer Forum every almost every game, and you know it, it's easy to sell tickets when you're good, and not only when you're good, but every game is competitive. So, like, even if you don't win, you're going to be entertained if you're right. going to Pfizer Forum, and Marquette has won. Most games at home under uh, over the last two years. I think the only home loss in the last two years was the to Wisconsin last year, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's um, right. Yeah, so they've been excellent at home. They usually and usually winning and quite often against pretty good teams. They there've only been uh, two bye games. They only get, they got one more next week, but it's not like they're bringing in eight cupcakes that they're going to blow out by 40 or well i guess suppose texas and notre dame were a little bit this week those those were those were uh, high quality buy games i guess yeah they they were they were but yeah you're going to be entertained the team is excellent and they're playing um they're playing at a high level and they they certainly did this week before i move on to notre dame phil you said you want to put a pin in something and come back to it about tyler yeah i i just wanted to ask you to force rank of uh tyler's uh uh charismatic obscenity use which we you know so we've got the ephem we've got the sitting there with the middle finger up in the championship trophies and now we've got the bs comment what what's what's the number one colorful tyler kolik for you right now uh to me it's number one it's ephem because he said it before the season and then backed it up with an all-american year and two championships i think that's fair uh so yeah i i would i would have to put that number one uh, I, I would say the BS comment this past week was number two, just because it's funny. Just a, you know, a, a light-hearted press conference moment. Like in context, it's hilarious. If you hear like the entire quote, he's right. kind of joking. You know, I mean, he, I mean, he was joking, but it was a true story because I totally believe he had that conversation with Shaka. And uh, yeah, I, I will, I will put the photo, which I still love, but I would rank that third. But, well, yeah, I, the, I think, the, I think, I think the photo becomes. It all depends on what happens this season, right? And, you know, if Marquette goes on to win, say, a, ti- a national title, that that photo lives in infamy because it's the 2023-24 version of Ephem, right? Because yeah, it's- cause I, I, if they have a special season, uh, you take that photo again with his other finger up, with yes. another ring on the opposite finger, and then wh- whatever trophies you have added surrounding yes. him. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, to be seen. But again, and in you know, I know it feels weird. And I and I was talking to some fans, um, both Wednesday and and Saturday, you know, at the stadium. And I I feel like, and and maybe it's just the people I'm talking to, but I feel like there's still a little bit of like somebody's waiting for a shoe to drop. Or, or they feel like, oh, maybe they're not as good as we think they are, and and maybe maybe the 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 Wisconsin loss, which 
at this point is an absolute outlier. No matter how you look at it statistically, one of these things is not like the other one. And that, that is that is the Wisconsin loss. So maybe, maybe that spooks some folks. But it, it, it feels like there's maybe still a little holding back or trepidation. But this is 100%. I'm not saying they will. But this is 100% a national title contending team. Period. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think we're confident in that. Now it's just a matter of um, finishing the deal as far as Biggie's play and continuing to build that non-conference resume. Because they, based on what they've done in the non-conference, they have put the non-conference resume together, assuming they beat St. Thomas this week, which they absolutely should, to be in a position to be a one seed. Now they have to continue to play at this level for 20 Big East games, and then I think I feel confident that you would be looking at a number one or two seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So just got to keep this going. But they, they've they've handled their business so far. You didn't need them to go undefeated. Would have been nice. or But have a 9-2 and two record after the St. Thomas game this week, that's pretty much right where you want to be. And that that's right. certainly a number one, number two uh, seed resume. You just have to continue that same level for the next 20. Right. Well, and, and per Ken Palm on the uh, on the game-by-game basis, they are projecting, Ken Palm's projecting we lose two more games all season, away at Connecticut and, and away at Creighton. You have four losses three of them on the road and one neutral and all four losses would, you know, assuming the rank current rankings hold would be to top, you know, essentially top 15 or better Ken Palm teams. Like that is the resume of a number one seed full stop. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent is so taking care of business so far. And that's exactly what they did on Saturday, Phil against Notre Dame. Uh, the, the first thing that jumps out is th- this game really was not competitive from the jump. Uh, t- unfortunately, Marquette did not cover. I think they lost that with free throws at the end. Yeah. But, you know, that's because they're playing freshman and walk-on. But beyond that, dominant no-doubter of a performance. And the first thing that jumps out to me is how long Notre Dame went to open the game without a bucket. And I, all I was thinking about, because I had actually listened to um, the Marquette basketball hour earlier that day. I had oh, to drive yeah. down to Waco and then drive back uh, that day. So I had some podcast listening time. And... Uh, one of the things that Jen Latta asked Shaka was about um, their, some of their terms with regard to defensive stops, kills, skunks. And Shaka said, I'm not going to tell you what nine in a row is unless we get one. But you've said you, you've actually heard through the grapevine that a, uh, I forget who you said told you this, but nine in a row is a dead skunk. Yeah, that, that's what I've been told. I, I don't know. I listened to the Marquette Basketball Hour as well. And the way Shaka was playing it, like, it sounded like it was a touch more obscene, or or there was there was something more to it because he didn't want to talk about it. But but who knows? I I was told it was dead skunk. I think Ben Steele reported it's dead skunk. But I guess um, the next well, it won't be this Thursday. I think it'll be the uh, the twenty first of uh, of uh, December. So a week from this coming Thursday, I think they'll they'll have the next basketball hour. So hopefully we'll get the official word straight from yeah, from so, Chaka. Yeah, but the. Yeah, so he said we wouldn't tell Jen what it is until they do it, and they did it within the first nine possessions of the Notre Dame game. Ridiculous. So I know what Jen's, I know what Jen's first question is going to be on the next episode. But uh, again, Phil, defensive intensity was there from the start, and I think this is part of the thing we've talked about a few times before with Shock and the coaching staff, how they're able to have little things that kind of 
pique the player's interest, even in a, maybe a game that should be one-sided, or you know, over the course of 31 games, maybe you can lose uh, your team's focus a little bit if things get monotonous. But there's always like a new challenge, a new game, a new theme, a new something to get the players excited or something to challenge. And you could see on the bench when they got like seven or eight stops that the bench knew and they were standing up and they yeah. wanted that ninth stop. So I think that was just kind of a little microcosm of, uh, you know, there are many things that make Shaka a great coach, but that's just another example of having things that the players get excited about, even in a lopsided game. Yeah. Well, and, and it was interesting because you can almost, you could almost tell in the stadium who the extreme online Marquette fans were because they have, they have the stop tracker, right? So they've got, they've got that, up on the on the scoreboard so you could you could see as it was happening you know where where are we at and you could do the math and so there you know when they got that eighth stop and then you know got a bucket and came back there were there were a few people in the stadium and like you said the the bench that were super hyped for uh for what we were hoping would would happen and then it ultimately did end up happening and you know there was there was a point where where with like Six or seven minutes left. Notre Dame had more fouls than points, and mm-hmm. you know that's you know, and some of it is you know bad luck for Notre Dame. They didn't they didn't hit sh- shots, but I think it was three out of the nine stops that resulted in what I believe is a dead skunk were shot clock violations. They they guarded for a full thirty seconds, and still Notre Dame couldn't get a shot off. Yeah, I think that's kind of the uh, a drawback when you play slow and a team defends you well. You know, by the time you get the ball across, you know, the timeline, y- you don't have as much time to get into your offense and get a good shot. And if you're defending, to your, your number of seconds to get the shot you want just dwindles. And Marquette took full advantage. And Notre Dame had some panic shots that, yeah, did result in uh, shot clock violations. So, yeah, just a dominant performance. Again, we talked on the podcast last week, Phil. We kind of had a feeling that Notre Dame was going to be overmatched. It absolutely was. Shrewsbury's a good coach, but he has a bit of a rebuild on his hands. Um, it, it, he needs more talent on that roster, and he they need experience. They just don't have it. And, yeah, it just uh, – it, I, one thing I continually love about this current Marquette team is they have taken care of business against overmatched opponents. Right. right. They, they have left the Northern Illinois game, the Ryder game, the Southern game, Texas, Notre Dame, all no doubters. Like there was never like even a moment of sweat in any of those games. Now, I, I would hope that you know, there may not be that many chances left for that to continue. Certainly this week against St. Thomas is one, maybe when they play Georgetown and DePaul. But other than that, yeah, there might probably aren't too many no total no sweat games left. But um when the games are lopsided and like 90 plus percent chance of winning on Ken Palm Marquette has played like it is about a 90% chance of winning. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but you know, Marquette, I I agree. They've, they've, they've closed the no doubters, but they've also done that while playing um, other minutes for other players, right? Like one of the things, and, and as we talk about maybe some questions we got on the old Twitter, Twitter machine, um, but like some freshmen were getting some more minutes. Zaid Lowry got got minutes in both the Texas and the Notre Dame game, which is not something he'd you know he hadn't gotten much many minutes outside of garbage time, and he got eleven minutes against Texas, and he got uh, uh, he got fifteen minutes against Notre Dame, right? And you know Trey Norman got minutes, and and so there were different combinations, different players. 
um, which against high major competition, you're not used to. So not only are they taking care of business, but they're not overtaxing their their starting lineup. Now, Stevie Mitchell was out last last uh, last night or, or Saturday night against Notre Dame, which hopefully it's just precautionary and it's a it's you know the report was it's a hamstring. So hopefully that's just a hey we we don't need him against Notre Dame and maybe St. Thomas and and get him right for uh, for conference play. But even without Stevie Mitchell. The starters or or no Marquette player played more than twenty eight minutes last night. That's yeah, and I think remarkable. I think it's great to have those games for these freshmen who have accepted small roles for this year. Guy like Norman and uh, Lowry and Amadou, they're big parts of the future when the current starters move on to their next destination. But this year, they know they are freshmen and they are playing small roles. But it's good to get them out there and feel you know get them to feel more involved in the team and have. You know, significant minutes, not just, you know, one minute in a 20-point blowout, that they're playing double-digit minutes in some of these games. And, you know, it's not like Marquette is playing to win these games by 30, 40 points. Winning by 15-plus is plenty. So let's get these guys out there and show what they can do. And they have performed pretty well. I love – one thing I said uh, on Saturday night was I love that Al Amadou. When he's in the game and just throwing down dunks on people, that's when you know you're done. Yeah. Like, you're toast. Like, he's the guy that – puts the exclamation point on big wins because he's uh Al could throw it down and I'll, I'll be curious to see what he develops into when he's a guy who's getting regular minutes when he's a rotation player uh, because he's definitely brings the highlights he, he I, I'm sure right now it's just shocking the staff or just want to bring him along as they would any young player to get used to the offense and do all the little things that maybe don't make a box score don't make a highlight reel and also continue to get bigger and stronger but um he sure is fun to watch. <laughs> I'm yeah. excited to see what he he and some of the other freshmen become. Well, and, and it was funny, a, a funny story from last night. So Zay Lowry was in who's his you know, his offense really isn't there, which is I suspect why he hasn't gotten more more minutes in the non conference. But his defense is pretty solid. But but yeah. la- in the game, at one point he went for just an absolute hammer dunk and and missed it, but it elicited a a holy hell out of me, you know. I said I said that out loud, and uh, the boy child turned to me and said, "Dad, you said the H word." And I said, "Yeah, yeah." I, I was a little excited, and he goes, well, can I, Yeah, I, he goes, "Can I say the H word?" And I told I I promised him that uh, if Zade Lowry ever actually lands that dunk, he can use the H word. So, oh um, let let's That's not a lot of pressure on Zade. <laughs> yeah, I know. So Zade, do it do it for no red for Owen, and please, no one show this podcast to uh, the wife character. But uh, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was it, exciting times in that game game last night for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I really don't have much more to offer about that Notre Dame game other than it, it was just another example of Marquette blowing out a, yep. an inferior opponent. We really had back to back vintage Tyler Cola games. More so in the Texas game because yeah, the offense was a little slow in the first half uh, against Texas, but. Tyler Kolick was just a spark plug late in that first half, and then it just exploded into the second half. He, I mean, he was playing with the confidence of an All-American in both games, and I mean, not quite triple-double numbers, but maybe right there he could have gotten triple-doubles if he played, like, every minute, but Mark right. didn't need him to play every minute in those games. Right. But uh, just uh, another a week where we were just looking at Tyler Kolick saying, thank God this guy's on our team. And, and, and remember, he, 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 you know, hurt his ankle before the Illinois game, like enough that he never played the rest of the game and was visibly limping off. He may not be human. Yeah, I think he's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Seems and, to be better. He's, 
Yeah, he was truly – he's truly one of the best players in the country. And it, it, so much of what Marquette wants to do kind of starts – well, not just kind of. It does start with him. His leadership, his decision-making, his confidence, and how he gets his teammates involved. He's fantastic, and I think we've kind of beaten that point in the ground. I think we'll say it several more times between now and April. But, hey, so shall we get to some of these questions you had asked our good friends on yeah, the social media? Yeah, let's do that. Because, I mean, St. Thomas, the uh, the readout is uh, should win. Let's, uh, let's not get anyone injured and uh, get ready for conference play. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Just. I mean. Just a quick rundown of St. Thomas. They're two forty six in Ken Palm. I think this is like their second or third year. Uh, this is their third year in uh, Division One. So th- this is a program that's still kind of growing, figure things out. I mean, Marquette is like a ninety eight percent chance of winning according to Ken Palm. So it, th- I, I think this is another take care of business type game. Uh, yeah, again, St. Thomas's offensive defense are north of or I guess south of 200 on Ken Palm's ratings. Marquette's in the top 10 in both. Yeah, again, I, I don't have any deep analysis, Phil, as far other than Marquette should kind of blow them out, and this should be another game. One, it might be the last game this year where we see extended minutes for freshmen and possibly even walk-on minutes. Yep, I would think so, except for maybe, you know, Georgetown and DePaul. Yeah, maybe them. And it, I wouldn't also, you kind of mentioned earlier, I wouldn't surprise me if Stevie Mitchell sits out another game. Even if yep. he's like 90% healthy, 95% healthy, you can win this game without him. So Yeah, for sure, for sure. So shall we get so, to uh, uh, questions? Yeah, you want to read the first one? You want to pick the first one or you want me to pick the first one? Uh, why don't you pick the first one? Okay, I think, bud, uh, just going off what I just said, this is a good one to start with. Uh, Mark on uh, Twitter asked, um, do you... It's a two-part question, uh, so I'll, I'll read them both, and then we'll get to it. By the way, this is a little trick for the media, uh, uh, or you know, anyone, don't ask two questions at once. Do one at a time, because when you ask two questions, usually the subject only answers the second one and forgets your first one. But anyway, here are Mark's two questions: What do you think about Jop's drop-off now that he's in the starting lineup, and also will Chase Wally Pip Stevie as the starter? So I'm going to start with the second part of that question. Uh, first of all, those who don't know that reference of Wally Pip quick history lesson. Wally Pipp was a first baseman for the New York Yankees, got injured, left a game. This guy named Lou Gehrig came in, played like 2,000-something consecutive games after that. I, I think I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, Lou, one of the greatest players of all time. The only thing that stopped him was the disease that now carries his name. Uh, so, if you are Wally Pipped, that means you leave a game, and then somebody else, the guy who replaces you, takes over your job and never gives it back. So, in that vein, I would say no, I don't think, as great as Chase is, I don't think he is replacing Stevie as a starter. Now, Chase is probably going to continue to earn minutes the way he plays and the potential that he has. Um, now, I don't think Shaka is just so blindly loyal that he would continue to start a guy who is, who is struggling. But and, and look, I know I see the tweets, I see some of the comments, I know some of you are down on Stevie, and I understand why his three-point shooting is not great. Um, and, and other teams know that. They help off Stevie all the time. But he's a 13% three-point shooter, so when he spots up for three, there's an 87% chance he's going to miss. Teams are going to take those odds. I get why you're saying what you do. But other than that, Stevie does everything else pretty well. I mean, he's excellent defensively. He's he's uh, he's very good uh, getting to the basket and getting layups. And, and as a post player for a guard, he's good for his size. He rebounds pretty well for his size. And 
he makes good decisions. He doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He's another ball handler. So, you know, anytime Stevie is on the floor, you know, he is at most the fourth best option offensively, sometimes the fifth best option. So he's not out there to score. It's nice when he can. And yes, it would all, of course, it would be nice if that three point percentage will, will improve. I don't think it can get much worse. I, but he's probably at a point where he's not sh- going to be shooting too much. Um, but I don't think you want him to stop shooting entirely. But uh, my answer to that question as far as Chase replacing Stevie uh, in the starting lineup is no. May Chase kind of maybe take a minute here or there and could maybe at the end of the season maybe he'd be playing more or equal minutes to Stevie. Maybe. Um, But uh, Stevie is an integral part of the team. He is important to the team. He's the heart and soul of the defense. I don't think he's getting replaced in the starting lineup. Where do you stand on that, Phil? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all – I, I mean, I, I maybe the players do, but I almost don't care about like who's the starter and who's not, right? Because they're going to distribute the the minutes um, according to need, and and it's it, you know, and Chase isn't a direct replacement for Stevie Mitchell, right? Like if if anyone's paying attention, most of the time when Stevie's starting, um, Chase is usually coming in as the first sub for um, David Joplin. Right. So, you know, and it depends on on situations and matchups and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Chase is in a direct one to one for for Stevie. Um, Also, Stevie is is going to be a critical part of this, because like you said, he does all the defensive stuff. He's his three point. If the only knock that fans have on Stevie Mitchell is that his three point shooting is bad and it is bad right now. Um, that that's fine, and and maybe he adjusts and and you know turns turns down some shots, but he's gonna you know Shaq is gonna have him keep shooting. He is a historic thirty percent shooter from three, and we know he can step up in big games. He was the entire reason we beat Villanova last year um, yep. in that in that game in the Pavilion, right? Um, he he got hot. I think he had nineteen points in the game or whatever, and and we ended up sneaking away. With a victory when no one else could could hit but Stevie, um, so he's going to contribute. I think it's going to be an ebb and flow, right? I mean, we've got at a minimum seven players that are all kind of co-starters, right? Like you've got the five starters plus you got Sean Jones and and you got Chase Ross. Those seven guys are going to play some combination of 24 to 32 minutes, depending on foul situation, injury, matchups, all of that stuff, right? And then you could maybe make an argument that Ben Gold is starting to get more minutes as well. And and it really just comes down to roster flexibility that, that Shaka has. What, what matchup makes sense for him? You know, who's playing well in the moment? Uh, that sort of thing. But I think the short answer to the second question is, no, Stevie, I think, I would suspect, barring, again, injury or something dramatic, I think Stevie's your, 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 your starter for the, the balance, for the rest of the season as long as he's healthy. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, when your four best offensive players are in the starting lineup, there's room for a defensive guy in there. And then right. you have guys with a little more offensive game like Chase and Sean to come off the bench. So I, I, I think Shock is going to stick with his rotations. Uh, he's got a top-ten team in the country, so I don't think he's – Need, there's much need to shake up beyond that. Now, beyond the, to the first part of Mark's question, uh, Jop's drop-off, I don't think it's as bad as you think it is. Right. Um, 
a year ago he averaged 9.2 points per game. This year he's averaging 8.2. Uh, now, uh, last year he shot 39.9% from three. This year, 34.6. But outside of that rough game against Wisconsin, which is a big chunk of his shooting for the year, uh, you take that 1-9 out of there, he's right at 39% for the year. So uh, outside of one rough game, he is shooting about the level from three he shot a year ago. The, I'd say the, the only... I mean, rebounds are pretty close. He was 3.2 a game a year ago, 2.9 this year. The one thing I'd say is maybe noticeably down is uh, his assists. He was almost a one assist a game last year. He's not a guy who passes much. Um, he, he's almost at zero. This He's at 0.3 assists a game this year. But I, I don't – I am not concerned that much with David Joplin right now. Um, the only – if I was going to say anything negative about Jop, I, I, it's that maybe he tries too hard when he's in the paint. When he decides to drive, you don't want him to not drive. You want that to be a part of his game. You want him to be able to play in the post, but I, maybe he just tries too hard and tries to force up a shot instead of kicking it out or uh, taking a different angle or whatever. But that that would really be my only concern about Jop is just that that two-point percentage is rough this year. But beyond that, he's it's not as far off from last year as you may think it is. Well, what do you think, Phil? Yeah, no, and, and I mean, again, I have to admit my bias is as seemingly the sole shareholder of uh, Jop Wagon Incorporated. But, um, like, y- yes, you can on the surface say his offensive stats are, are um, you know, down from last year. And, again, some of that can be – you know, Maui Invitational shooting was off for everyone, and he had a bad game against Wisconsin. Um, but I think what what people are discounting or not recognizing is the the job uh, David Joplin has done on the defensive end, right? You know, he is he's getting switched a lot, so he's playing both perimeter defense and guarding in the post. Uh, he's rebounding well. Um, you know, there there are some defensive plays he's made this season that he never made before. Um, you know, and, and maybe it doesn't always show up as a statistical element or an analytic, but but I don't think his overall performance counting both ends of the floor. Plus I think quite frankly he's he's an integral part of the culture, right? Did I mean you saw the uh, the video from uh um from Marquette basketball's uh, Instagram account, you know the pregame before Texas, where where clearly Jop and and Oso were having a minute during the uh, having a moment during the introductions, right? Like that's that's somebody you know Joplin is intricately connected with this team. I you know I, I guess I would take a little umbrage to the characterization of drop off. I would I would say it's more of an evolution and you know, a bit of an offensive setback to date, but, but I've, I've been pretty pleased with what he's, what he's contributing. Maybe, maybe he's a victim of my own overhype, but, but I, I, I think he's been, been very solid this season. Yeah. I, I think I'm glad you brought up, brought up the point about his defense. Cause that, that has improved quite a bit since his freshman year. And yeah, I think his contributions are fine. And again, I think one really rough game against Wisconsin is bringing down his overall sample of 10 games. So that's, when that's 10% of his overall season. I think once we get 20 games in and that's only 5% of his season, I think uh, everybody will be more than pleased with the evolution of Jop. All right, Phil, what uh, what question you want uh, next? Um, so I think this one's an interesting one. And, and it's um, – so Nate said, uh, with this week having games laden with storylines, a lot of rivalries, UW, Notre Dame, past coaching stop in Texas – 
What are your favorite rivalries of old and favorite rivalry moments? Mm, that's good. Now, now, Phil, you and I are of the same era, so we're probably going to have a lot of the same opinions here. Yep. Um, so, you know, definitely from, like, the Crean days, Marquette's rivalry with Louisville burned white hot. Oh, my Patino God. Was there. Um, now, could we get to that same level with St. John's now that Patino is there? I don't know. Maybe. But, man, there were just some heated, just bitter games between Marquette and Louisville. Louisville got us a few times with some buzzer beaters. Uh, Jerry Smith had a big one. Reese Gaines, Gaines. had a big one. Um, Francisco, what was his name? Um, Garcia? Garcia? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he had a buzzer beater. And Damian Mason had a, a one for the Marquette side to beat Louisville. So there were there was quite a few buzzer beaters between the two, and then there were just some games that just – I don't know. It was just tense, just really tense games. And Marquette and Louisville and Conference USA were frequently battling for, if not the top of the league, to be the team that's chasing Cincinnati at the top of the league. So it was just a, it was a great rivalry at that time. And um, so that was one that I have missed. And it's not like one I'm trying to bring back because Louisville's a real mess right now. But uh, that was. Um, that was one that 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 immediately comes to mind. Now, the, the, I, most of those moments would not I would not call favorite rivalry moments because most of them are on the Louisville side. I remember that Reese Gaines buzzer beater. Um, it wasn't technically a buzzer beater. There was just like a couple seconds left. But I mean, I, Diener had hit a big three to give us the lead, and then Reese Gaines went down and hit a three to respond, and that just sucked the air out of the. And place. it was like a but logo then, uh, three. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. It was it was a long one, and uh, um, but. When Mason hit his, that was the year after Wade. Um, that was like, oh, we finally got one against Louisville after they'd gotten us so many times. So that was a personal favorite, even though Mason ended up transferring and not finishing at Marquette. That was his one big moment. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, Louisville was always a big one, and, and it just, you know, just hated each other. But I will say, you know, and, and it, I, I go back and forth whether it's Louisville or it's Cincinnati. Cincinnati, for me... Like, there was not one team I hated more than Cincinnati. Um, right. One, they were really good at the time, right? At one point, I think it was our junior year, so it would have been uh, 02. I think they were number two in the country or, or number one, yep. and that's when uh, uh, Kenyon Martin broke his leg against us. Um, no, uh, Kenyon Martin broke his leg. That was our freshman year. Kenyon Martin was a senior our freshman year. Okay. Um, yeah, like, that's when they were number one team in the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it like our junior year that was 02 that was when Steve Logan was their best player yes. and their big guy was Donald Little he was Leonard this, this Little big, wasn't it uh, Donald Little I'm pretty Donald sure Donald yeah okay but anyway they, they that that team was just ferocious i mean yeah they 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 played tough <laughs> they uh maybe a little dirty sometimes but uh but yeah Kenyon Martin just dunked all over us when uh, back in that 99-2000 season. And that Cincinnati team was probably Huggins' best chance to win a national title. Uh, but yeah, Cincinnati dominated Conference USA every year since it uh, began. They won it, what, I forget how many years it was. It was like eight, nine, ten years. Cincinnati won it every year. And then um, in 03, the final four year, that was the first time a team other than Cincinnati had won Conference USA. But the, yeah, you're, the year before that, the the game you're talking about, Cincinnati was the number two team in the country. They had like a 20-something game winning streak, and that was the first year Wade was on the team, uh, playing on the team. He was redshirted, had to sit out the year before. But that was the first time, uh, but 
that like Marquette had a huge, huge win under Tom Crean, uh, and the team, uh, the fans rushed the floor, and uh, that was just a very, very satisfying moment beating that Cincinnati team uh, that year. They ended up getting the best of us and winning Conference USA in the end. But yeah, the game you're talking about was a, a an incredible one. Yeah, well, and then the other one that that I will never forget is the, uh, um, I think that was O two and it was on the road, um, was what I always refer to as the Steve, Steve Logan forearm shiver. Um, yes, that 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 you're correct about that. There, a little push off on the that was the second of three meetings between Marquette and Cincinnati that year. Yeah, and they and and Logan pushed off against Cordell Henry step back for a jump shot and uh, and won the game for him. But yeah, those Cincinnati and Louisville were by far um by far the biggest rivalries I remember. I mean, there was a time if if the 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 middle new Big East, like the Super Big East with the the 16 teams if that had held together, I think we were going to get there with Pitt. Um Yes, yes. There were some really good Marquette Pitt games. Uh Yes, you're correct. You know, so I think we would have gotten there, but then, then obviously ESPN came in and and decided to break up the Big East so they could form the the Super ACC, which is in turn, you know, we don't need to get into the Florida State college football playoff gar- garbage, but um, yeah, Pitt would have gotten there. Um, obviously, Wisconsin is an age old rivalry like that. Almost is in a in a place by itself because you know it does not matter what what the performance of each team is in a season that game will always be super duper heated and will you know always be some form of competitive game yeah and yeah like i i wish we had somebody on here who was uh following the team back in the 70s who could maybe shed some light on the rivalries back then that were really great um i i guess i just don't have a great answer for you as far as like the the peak al mcguire days um what, what, I, mean, I, I assume Wisconsin and Notre Dame, of course. But, um, you know, UCLA was good at the time, but I don't know how often Marquette and UCLA played in those days, um, if all, if at all. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a great answer for, like, OG rivalries. But, yeah, as far as maybe the last 20 years, I think we've kind of touched on it. Cincinnati, Louisville were huge. Um, uh, Pitt was a little little hot there for a while. And there was a, a brief time there. Maybe it was just the um, – the Marcus Howard era, but like the, the back and forth between Marquette and Seton Hall with, mm. um, you know, Kevin Willard, his name is Ke- yeah. Well, yeah. Willard, but their star guard who was, oh, who just a miles. got the best of a, yeah. Miles Powell, who miles g- Powell got the best of Marquette almost every time they played. Oh, that big East that tournament was, with, uh, when, uh, Theo John got ejected for, yeah. for doing nothing and miles Powell somehow, uh, they, they forgot he, uh, uh, he didn't have an extra foul somewhere, and he got to come back into the game. You have that game. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, I think what happened was like he had a technical and a flagrant. Yes. Which I guess was not a disqualification as opposed to two technicals or two flagrants. Um, and then yeah, then that tense moment between uh, Powell and Wojo after the game where there was no handshake or whatever, and Miles made a big scene out of it. like, hey, you want to shake my hand? You want to shake my hand? But yeah, that was the, like, Marquette fans would always support Marcus Howard for Big East Player of the Year and All-American teams, and Seton Hall would always say, no, it should be our guy, and even though I will always say Marcus Howard was a better player than Miles Powell, Powell's teams always won. Almost always won. It was probably, by the end of the, it was like five out of six or something. Yeah, yep. But that, that, 
that rival, but again, as coaches have changed, the players have changed. I don't know if you would still call that one as heated of a rivalry, but maybe it could still be, uh, depending on what Shaw does over there uh, with Seton Hall. All right, I got another question. Okay. Would like to, it, it, um, so this is from uh, Joseph Slovak, who I actually met in Hawaii. Uh, said oh. he enjoyed the podcast. So uh, shout out to Joe. Had a beer with him. Uh, but anyway, he said, maybe this is more for the offseason, but uh, with Notre Dame series coming to an end, what potential opponents would you want to see Marquette start a home-and-home series with next year? Great question, because I think there's uh, certainly some questions about what Marquette's schedule could look like next year and really for the years to come. With no more Gavit games, uh, Notre Dame has opted not to continue this series beyond this year. Um, there is no notable home-and-home home on the books yet. I've heard through the grapevine there is one coming. I cannot... I'm not at liberty to say what that is, but there could be a very good home-and-home home coming. But one team that I would always say Marquette should um, look into getting a home-and-home home with, just because I know this team would always be up for it, is Gonzaga. Yes. Gonzaga is always looking for opponents. Gonzaga always looks to play the toughest non-con schedule it can because they know its league will always bring its resume down. So they always play a brutal non-conference schedule, try to get in as many tournaments, uh, MTEs, like things like Maui, as they can, uh, and they'll get home and homes with just about anybody, especially if they can get them to come to Spokane. Like they have a home, uh, they have like a six-game series with Kentucky now. Um, but uh, like Kentucky's not going to go to the kennel until the last year, which is hilarious. Like I think they're going to play two games. They're going to play two games in Seattle, uh, three games in Lexington, and then the last game of the series is going to be at the kennel. Which I'm guessing Calipari's going to be retired by then. <laughs> He's going to get out of there and leave that for the next coach. But anyway, uh, that is the top of my list as far as a team that would I. I'm sure would love to schedule it, would be 100% willing to go to Milwaukee as long as we go back to Spokane. I know it's a long flight, but whatever. I think it's a good, great opponent. So if Marquette's going to get a home and home with somebody, that would be near the top of my list. What would you say, Phil? Um, I, I would go also West Coast, and, and maybe it's it's a bit of recency bias, but, you know, and, and actually related to Gonzaga in, in terms of coaching. But I, I would actually pick Arizona. Like, mm. you, you know, again, I think... I, I would try and get a, a home and home with Arizona. Yes, they're going in um, into the Big Twelve, and and um, you know, so they're they're maybe not going to be looking for as much, you know, because the the sixteen teams in the Big Twelve are I, that's just a ridiculous slate. But but I think that would just make for an interesting series. I think they're you know some historically performing teams. Arizona would be an an interesting style and and an opponent. We I, I don't I don't even I can't even remember the last time we played Arizona. It's been forever. I think I'd have to go look. Yeah, but it, it it'd just I be can't. an interesting home and home. Get some eyeballs for the for the West Coast and and Mountain Time Zone uh, Marquette fans. I'm I'm sure there's some Marquette folks in the Arizona area that a home and home would make sense, but. But that's that's maybe the the, the one I'd want to get. I, though I agree, Gonzaga is is an awesome one. That's probably the number one number one I'd want to have on the schedule. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think those are two pretty good ones. If you're also thinking West Coast, um, just as far as television and eyeballs, uh, USC would be interesting, especially if Bronny James is going to be there for a couple years. That's true. Um, yeah. I mean, he may be a one and done just because that's what his dad wants him to do, but. Uh, I mean, USC has done a pretty good job bringing in high-profile recruits because they got Isaiah Collier there right now. He won't be there next year, but um, USC recruits well, and I think th they would again they would be big on TV just because if Bronny James does stay for a second year, um, and I think they would be a good enough opponent that you wouldn't be uh, 
wouldn't have an issue with having them on the schedule. Uh, Marquette still has this Big 12 challenge, so I'm sure they will get a good Big 12 team next year um, in in the Biggie's Big 12 challenge. So uh, beyond that, maybe again you can look around. SEC or ACC, see if somebody wants to hook up with you. Maybe you can get Carolina back in there because they had a home-and-home home in North Carolina not too long ago. Because I know Duke's tough to get uh, because they've got that Champions Classic. Um, but maybe you can look at UNC. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I am confident that Marquette will have a challenging schedule next year and the year after that because they – I think the – the staff at, at Marquette, speaking of the athletics department, they did a pretty good job of getting a schedule catered to the team that they think they're going to have. And by that, I mean, if they think it's going to be a rebuilding year, maybe they dial it back a little bit. But when the team is good, they crank it up a notch like they have this right. year. And I think they will do that next year. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I think, you know, it, and I think just looking around college basketball, I think especially with there's a little bit of uncertainty and realignment and how the various conference schedules are going to work out and that sort of stuff. So I think there's a little ambiguity out there. So, you know, I don't think anyone should be nervous that, um, you know, that we don't have a lot on the on the schedule for next season. You know, the, the team, uh, they did an outstanding job with the schedule this year. Um, so I have some confidence they'll be – They'll be good next year, but again, the schedule may take a step back, um, just simply because you know the the team, depending on what happens this year, and and you know if players stick around or whatnot, um, either you know either we might be in a bit of a, a bit of a reload and and bringing in some new folks, or you know we're running back again, and and until we know more, that's that's kind of what uh, what the schedule makers are going to have to work on. So, you know, it'll be see. I wouldn't be nervous about anything, but it'll it'll be interesting to see what the, the schedule looks like next year. Uh, do you mind if we do one more question? I think that sounds about right. We got, we're, we're approaching the one-hour mark, but we're not quite there. So I think let's get one more question and then wrap this puppy up. All right. Well, this is going to be selfless. Uh, I, this is just going to be self-aggrandizing because Alan Bukowski of, uh, of Crack Sidewalks uh, – chimed in and, and wants to know Marquette is 60% plus to win each of their next 10 games per Ken Palm. Which of those games makes your spidey sense tingle most in terms of risky situations? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, uh, the so yeah, uh, Alan is right. If you look at Ken Palm, as far as uh, odds of winning, Marquette is 60% or more every game until January 30th when they visit Villanova, and even that's at 59%. And then after that, they're not below 60 until the Connecticut game, that's a road game, on February 17th, where they are an underdog, and actually a considerable one. Uh, they have Connecticut uh, as a five-point favorite in that game. But uh, I, I will start with this, Phil. Uh, the you know This is something we actually both picked in our game-by-game game in the preseason, just on the... Um, philosophy of stuff happens sometimes going to MSG to play St. John's on January 20th is Marquette better than St. John's yes absolutely neutral floor would not even be a sweat I don't think when St. John's comes to the Al McGuire Center should be an easy win but just it it just again we talked about the rivalry with Louisville a little earlier and the one reason it just burned so hot is because Patino was just so dang good and his teams were so frustrating to play against um I know he would love a signature win like that in his first season leading the Johnnies. And if they can pack MSG for that game, 
might be a bit of a hornet's nest. Might be a little loud in there, and especially if they are able to uh, keep winning. They got a t- few tough games between now and then. But uh, that's one that makes me kind of wonder if that could be a game where maybe Marquette is not at it. You know, maybe not play. They don't just don't play their best for whatever reason. Because again, stuff happens. Like in the Wisconsin game, stuff happened. Sometimes you just go on the road and just don't play well. Uh, that that's one that kind of jumps out to me. What about you, Phil? Um, well, I think the obvious, obvious one, and, and it, you know, it's to a certain extent, it's a little bit shocking that that you know. It is such a we are so favored in the game, you know, given the competitive nature. But the the Creighton game at home, December thirtieth, I, I think that's I, the, the yep. team will obviously be up for it. But that's that's a real risk. But if we're going kind of like under the radar stuff, I I get what you're saying with St. John's. I, I think I'm a less worried about them than I was going into the season. I thought I thought Patino would have some magic elixir that would make some pieces fit that didn't make sense to make fit and i think he's done okay but but i i think st john's is is struggling a little more than i anticipated i i would say my like spidey sense one is that providence game on the road um that'll that'll be our first road game since the wisconsin loss stuff happens now we'll be coming off of you know a, a weekend free of games but that's the start of Big East play. We'll be hyped up. You got the holidays coming up. Um, that one just has a bright, right, bright red flashing lights. Wisconsin, you know, got boat raced at at, uh, at Providence. So I, again, I'm not forecasting that Providence will win necessarily, but that's one. That one has me uh, on high alert. And that's fair. And, and Hopkins was a pain a year ago. Right, right. I mean, right, and if and if rebounding is still a glaring issue for us, going against Hopkins is, you know, not great for getting getting that stat right by our accounts. Yeah, so I'm with you, and I, I would certainly agree that maybe St. John's isn't as intimidating. That, or I don't know if intimidating is even the right word, but just uh, they, they maybe not make me as nervous as they did coming in there, because just because it was a uh, such an unknown. Are they going to be just a little bit better? Are they going to be a lot better? Is uh, Patino going to be able to transform some of these guys who maybe haven't played well prior to his arrival? But uh, yeah, I, I I think Providence is a uh, is a good call. I would be I would be on alert for that one. But but yeah, still it, it is wild to look at that those Ken Palm projections for Marquette and look game by game and just see WWW just so many wins projected between now and the end of the regular season. The only L's projected are. March 2nd against Creighton, February 17th against Connecticut. And uh, yeah, Connecticut and uh, Connecticut and Creighton, those, those two road games. That's it, man. That is <laughs> What a time to be <laughs> if alive. That goes, yeah, if that if that goes according to plan or even close to it, even if there are say two upset losses there that you're not expecting. Even if you can't uh, if you can go 16 and 4 in the Big East, that's great. That's Here's a quick question for you just to quick wrap it up. How many wins do you need to win the Big East this year? Do you think? Now that, like now that we've we uh, now that we've seen the teams for non-conference, maybe we have a better judge of who's good, and who's not. Even though it's probably about what we expected, right? right? I don't think there's any shocker in the Big East right now, as far as wow, they're way better, or wow, they're way worse than we thought. Um, ballpark. How many wins will the Big East champion have? Um. I'd say for a split title, it's going to be 15 wins. For an outright title, it's going to be 16. Okay. I don't know. What do you think? I was was thinking about 16 as well. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I think going something like 18 and two seems like a tall task. You know, right. I, that's I, I, like the Villanova little... of old, right? Like, right. Well, or uh, or the like Marquette of last year. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. It's <laughs> a good point. Solid uh, point. Yeah, we, we were seventeen. Yeah, we had, Marquette was seventeen and three last year. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like going yeah, through a, a stretch like that, where uh, our, you know just. It, there's going to be upsets here and there. And one thing I kind of threw out in the group chat and uh, with us and the guys over at Paint Touches, Crack Sidewalks and whatnot, I was like, what do you think we'll, there will be more of? Marquette plus Connecticut losses or DePaul plus Georgetown wins? And I, 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 I lean towards the former just because, you know, Creighton's going to get some people. And I Villanova on a good night can beat a lot of the teams at the right. top, but Villanova on a bad night could also lose to the teams at the bottom. Um so I I don't know how many wins. I mean, Villanova could could supply could supply losses to Connecticut and Marquette and wins to Georgetown and and uh, yeah, they DePaul. could do both. They, yeah, they could be they both. could do both. They would be my pick to pull off both a team that beats somebody in the top two and loses the loses the teams in the bottom two. Also yeah, known as a wojoing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We know what that feeling is like. All right, so yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I think I think uh, I, I would target about 16 Big East wins gets you a championship. We'll see how close we are when it gets to the end of the road. Because it, it, even though I think there's a there's a, like a clear line, uh, there's Marquette and there's Connecticut, and I'll put Creighton right behind them. But I think there is just a thick line between those three, and I think the you know, a lot of their losses are going to come against each other. Yep. But upsets happen. Road games are always going to be tough in the Big East. There's there's going to be some games when you just don't play well on the road, and uh, you know there's going to be some wow. That team lost to or Connecticut lost to that team, or Creighton lost to that team. Holy crap! Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, I, 16 wins. That's where I'm going to go to win the Big East. Sounds good to me. Let's make it happen, Captain. All right, all right. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, Q and A pod. So we got one game this coming week against St. Thomas. Uh, Trying to maybe get one more podcast out to you before the holidays. TBD on that. We'll keep you updated on uh, social media. You could follow us on Twitter, X. I'm Joe McCann3. Phil is M O O O F 23 at Crack Sidewalks is the team handle. Go to cracksidewalks.com. We post the podcast there. You can leave your comments on the dot com and also, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Phil, any closing thoughts before we wrap? Nope. Let's uh, let's enjoy the ride. That's all there is to it. All right. Let's enjoy another easy win this week. Then we will start talking Big East play. Happy holidays, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Seashells and balloons.